Before you receive any of the Chronos the Klingon homeworld? That's impossible! No, oh, I know. You forgot the eighth rule of acquisition. Small print leads to large risk. <gasps> you swindled like a true Ferengi. I swear I had nothing to do with this. You're lucky she did. As much as we're in favor of joining the Federation, the Grand Nagus can't sign with a bunch of suckers and rubes. Captain Freeman, you showed me that there are those in the Federation who respect our culture. Let's start over. Bring me the standard papers. I'll sign. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith and joining me on the bridge. This is Tyler Orton, carefully examining the small print. Oh my. And we're here this week to talk about the latest episode of Lower Decks, episode six of season four, Parth Ferengi's Heart Place. Um, that's a very awkward title. And then we will also a little bit later talk about the final, perhaps, um, very short trek walk, don't run, but Tyler, we love it when DS9 becomes an element of lower decks. Last season, we had the great episode where we got to see Kira and Quark back on lower decks or on the lower decks for the first time ever back on Star Trek. Um, what did you think of Rom and Lita showing up on this week's lower decks? Yeah, well, last season we got the A-level players and um, mm-hmm. uh, a real downgrade with some um, uh, maybe a B-level player and maybe a uh, a C-minus level player here in the form of uh, Rom and uh, First Clerk Lita. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I, 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 I don't really understand what was going on with their characters here. Uh, from where we left them in uh, the, I, I guess, the penultimate episode of Deep Space Nine, The Dogs of War... To where we find them now, uh, I maybe seven or eight years later, roughly. I might be getting my math a little bit wrong here. Because ultimately, Rom's legacy is going to go down as the uh, Ferengi Grand Nagus that brought the Ferengi Alliance into the United Federation of Planets. Mm-hmm. But he was willing to do that by really like pulling a fast one on the dumbest admiral that we've seen (laughs) in all of star trek which is really saying something this guy was a a real real pea brain here but then when we had freeman um insert some small print that these two real smart negotiators which you know lita and rom they always had that real great reputation as being like real savvy negotiators during their time on uh deep space nine um, once they realized that there was some small print in there, Rom's like, you know what? We didn't want to join if it was just going to be you suckers and rubes. But now that we know you're savvy negotiators, now we want to join the Federation. And I'm, I'm like, what? Like, like none of this makes sense to me. I, I, I don't understand the motivation of the characters. And it just wrapped up way too neatly. And I was just like, it, I, I don't know. This one did not work for me. Um, Rom didn't even look like Rom. Like, it totally looked <laughs> like Lita. But he didn't even have that kind of, like, a uh, head garb on the back of his head. Like. Um, he was so like, no, like, uh, he had it, Nog had it, Quark did not have it. Did, did any Frangies have the head garb in this one? Or were they going, uh, uh, kind of a uh, bare back in it, uh, this entire episode for all of them? 
Okay, I may be remembering wrong, but not wrong, wrong. Okay. Um, but I think um, one might have been wearing it in the like Federation restaurant they went to. Okay, okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> for me, that was probably the, the highlight of the episode, uh, just seeing kind of uh, Ferengis doing cosplay there. This, in terms of Rom's appearance with Lita, I, I thought there was at least something interesting in that we actually got to see Rom acting as a Grand Nagus, something that you and I had like a theory a long time ago that Rom was probably like executed shortly after being named Nagus yeah, <laughs> because yeah. of trying to bring these progressive changes to their society. Um, initially, I thought they were kind of going to go the angle that like Lita was kind of the brains of the operation. Um, when you had Rom going on about baseball and what have you. Well, Kim, um, Kim was Lita ever uh, portrayed as a uh, super smart and savvy Dabo girl? No, she wasn't. Um, but I thought maybe we were seeing like an evolution of that character over time, like how the relationship has brought something out of them, the way that her being the, you know, the clerk to the Nagus, like she has maybe ascended in some ways or excelled in this business venture um, slash life. And I thought, okay, this is kind of interesting. And then when they pulled the small print thing, this, and I've used this anecdote um, in the past where the uh, writers of the Batman animated series would talk about how they hated doing Riddler stories because they were too much work of trying to write incredibly smart riddles and, you know, character um, motivations and stuff like that for that character. Um, I felt like the idea of Freeman outsmarting them at negotiation is actually a really fun way to resolve a Ferengi story. And it didn't feel like the writers cracked a way to do that where it felt clever. It was them saying, they're small print, you've got to bring in one planet. And Rom going, yes, okay, that sounds good. We can easily do that. And then pulling out the, the rug with the Kronos reveal. But it didn't feel like that was the sort of thing that you were like, oh my God, I didn't see that coming. Like, what a great reveal. And it didn't feel like the sort of thing that the characters, given where they were throughout the episode of very much having the upper hand, would fall for. Yeah, it just, I mean, this one didn't really track for me, uh, especially where we left the characters off. You know, and again, it's been a few years. As you say, you know, these characters could have grown and evolved and become more, uh, or become savvier. Um but it still doesn't track. It, it it doesn't. It seems like two different characters. They just happen to have the names Rom and Lita, you know, in this situation. Um, I don't know. There, there's still funny stuff going on. I mean, like, uh, there's a sign for uh, Uncle Cork's Youth Casino. Um, <laughs> like that made me laugh. Um, I think uh, Tendi called uh, uh, Rutherford uh, Muffin Skunk at one point. You know, those it was kind of is more the uh, the throwaway lines uh, that uh, were out there. Uh, you know, finding out that uh, the Cerritos is the horniest and least romantically committed crew in Starfleet. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's why there are orgies uh, everywhere uh, as uh, they, they uh, expand upon in uh, this week's very short trek. Yes, that's right. Um, I thought the Tendi Rutherford story was actually a really fun idea. It kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, Superman 2, um, and where they went to Niagara Falls, I believe, uh, and you had similar kind of shenanigans. But, like, the character stuff that felt organic to the two of them, like, we kind of know that these two like each other. Um, they are obviously very close friends, but there's, there's shades of something more with the two of them. And I think the idea of them kind of having to face that was fun when it was being played in ways that felt a little more organic. When it turned into some of like the really over-the-top stuff in the uh, Ferengi bar and grill, it felt like 
this is the sort of thing where it goes kind of crazy, but it's not as funny as it should be. Like, if you're going to go big and over the top, I want it to be, like, really, really funny. And I wasn't laughing so much. I would have preferred making the two of them be put in a position where it felt like the sort of thing where they had to acknowledge, like, how they felt about each other in a way that's hopefully funny. Yeah, I, I mean... I did like Dr. Milima in this one, though, where uh, he, he walks into that restaurant and is like, it's the most platonically close friends on the Cerritos. What a coincidence they're here. And then he also had a great uh, throwaway line, like, you don't have to throw up in my mouth twice, uh, coming <laughs> yeah. from a, a bird alien, which is uh, pretty funny. You know, I, um, you know, they, I, I, there were other elements... I think there are like four or five different like storylines going in this one. Mm-hmm. But again, like if there were four or five storylines going on in episode three or four of season one, you and I would just be a little lost. I think they found like a good rhythm for the show at this point. I never felt lost. Um, the the storyline that was actually it was grating on me until they actually uh, kind of got towards where they wanted to go is the Mariner storyline, mm-hmm. where I'm like, okay, she's getting drunk again. She clearly has an alcohol problem if she's starting fights in bars. You know, is it, are, are we just going to repeat the same beats with this character again and again? But you have the Ferengi friend who's like, you need to figure out, you know, what, what this immature rebellion is all about. Like, what are you rebelling against at this point? You know, like, she seems content with, you know, being promoted. She has uh, a relationship with her mom that's actually okay at this point. Mm-hmm. So what is it really that's making her tick? And I'm, I'm glad that they planted that seed in there because I think it, it, it's organic growth on her part, which I think we need. And I think you you and I have discussed this uh, last week as well with regards to Mariner actually showing some growth in this character. I, I think so far this season, I, I, like, um, I, I think Mariner has more of an arc than anyone else. Yeah, maybe we should just go down the list, because that's something we talked about last season a lot, was like which characters felt like they weren't getting a lot to do. So you think Mariners had like the biggest journey so far this season? Well, they're acknowledging, you know, some of these traits of hers that could get a little old, you know, if you're going for like 12 seasons, you know, and I'm like, okay, well, okay. Now that we've acknowledged it, how do we move forward with that? And uh, this isn't the first episode that they acknowledged that. Uh, they did that in previous episodes this season as well. So I'm like, okay. And, you know, they've taken it step by step, uh, you know, every single season with that character as well. Yeah. And I think there's something about the show kind of grappling with, can you evolve Mariner to a point where she's still the character audience's love, um, or at least, you know, really embraced in the first few seasons? And kind of filed down those edges. And I think there's like an interesting attempt on the show to kind of have their cake and eat it too. Where they can have her act out in a way where it's not my favorite brand of comedy on Lower Decks. Where it's just Mariner just engaging in chaos for the sake of chaos. But they're able to kind of give the audience that while also acknowledging like through the character's kind of self-analysis why she does these things and why it's a problem. So that hopefully we grow past it. But I do think there is an element of like, can we take this character too far where she's not the character that audiences fell in love with in the first place? My favorite iteration of Mariner to date is in the uh, Strange New Worlds crossover. You know, she's mm-hmm. not traveling through time to get hammered and start fights in the lounge or anything like that. 
uh, she's not being overly obnoxious. I mean, she is, like, uh, ruffling some feathers, of course. Um, but she's getting great one-liners in there, like referring to Spock as Hot Spock. You know, that sort of stuff. You know, it's working for me. And I think when they just kind of take her down a notch... Oh, you know, okay, do you know what it is? When they um, take her up too many notches, that's when I get a little, like, bored. I'm like, okay, been there, done that. And so I, I do like the self-awareness that... Um, She's starting to get a hold of, at least so far this season. Yeah, like this felt to me more honest in terms of her sort of um, chaotic impulses than that episode that was an okay episode, but the uh, resolution rub rubbed us the wrong way where it had her running around phasering everyone. Where it's yeah. like, that feels like the sort of thing that you need a little bit of uh, character analysis at the end of that, because that's psychotic. Well, that was a DS9 episode as well. Uh, yeah. which uh interesting to bring that up. But I can't okay. I, I <laughs> this is something that's kind of been bugging me for uh, I just kind of realized this like a couple of weeks ago though. But um with regards to new Star Trek, we've had like a full out TNG reunion. We've had like a TNG spin-off mm -hmm. in the form of Picard. Uh we had a uh regular character from Star Trek Voyager join that spin-off as well in the, in the form of Seven of Nine. And now there's. I thought you meant Tuvok. <laughs> well, there you go. Oh, and what an appearance it was! It was you know? yes, yes. Uh, we had an entire episode set on USS Voyager in terms of um, the season premiere of season four of Lower Decks. Right now, we think about even Lower Decks getting a whole lot of love with the Strange New Worlds crossover. Uh, Kim, is Deep Space Nine the one most forgotten about? So far, like we had the uh, Cork and Kira episode, mm -hmm. we had the Rom and Lita episode, but it just feels like, you know, as always, like uh, DS9 might be kind of the uh, unloved stepchild in this situation. Is it unloved or is it the most difficult one to organically work into, uh, you know, shows that or movies that want to pay tribute to Star Trek? Because the mythology of DS9 is so dense that... <laughs> communicating some of that to an audience not familiar with ds9 could be quite difficult so maybe the reason like rom and lita feel kind of one-dimensional in this is because it's just like create kind of the cartoon versions of them because we don't want to go into um <laughs> explorations and explain to the audience you know the journey of these two characters i, I think that might be the challenge well we, we like the the voyager episode you had like um, Michael Sullivan, Janeway's holographic boyfriend, appear. You had the clown uh, from one of the worst episodes of uh, Star Trek ever appear. You had um, the macrocosm aliens. Uh, you had it, it was centered around Tuvix. You know, like um, yeah, like that. That's kind of like uh, all this mythology around a series that wasn't necessarily known for its dense mythology. So I'm wondering, like, what can you extract here? Other than, uh, I think one of my favorite jokes of this entire episode, which is the Dominion War Memorial uh, <laughs> yeah. here on Frankenar, where we have somebody uh, crying, you know, so much lost income. Is there <laughs> no justice in this galaxy? You know, um, I, I wonder, though, like, let's go back to even earlier on uh, Lord Dex. Uh, we had Tom Paris show up as mm -hmm. well. You know, like, I just think Voyager's getting so much more love than Deep Space Nine is in kind of this new era of Star Trek. Why do you think that is? What is it about Voyager? Well, let's, okay, let's think about who they could bring back uh, for 
Okay, actually, you know, no, I'm sorry. Your question was why Voyager. That is actually yeah. a very good question. Yeah. You know, I, I think you were right in the first place when you re initially responded to me. It was, you know, it's probably just easier. Yeah. To bring back those characters, you know, like um, Seven of Nine is very iconic. You know, uh, oh my gosh, how am I forgetting like the, all, all the Janeway love we're getting in Star Trek Prodigy? You know, you mm -hmm. bring her back uh, as well, so that's easy to do. Um. If you're going to have a spinoff featuring, you know, Seven of Nine in the main cast, I can understand why you bring, you know, Tuvok back uh, in like a cameo. You know, uh, yeah, I, I think it's just probably just more practical because what I was going to say earlier is like, well, what are the options for Deep Space Nine? You know, Worf doesn't really count. He's originally a TNG character. Yep. Uh, same with Chief O'Brien. We know for a fact that uh, Avery Brooks has retired from acting. There's no way he'll ever come back. So that leaves you with Esri, Julian, Jake, Quark, and Kira uh, from the main cast. Because, of course, uh, Renee Bergeron, uh, who played Odo, is, has passed on at this point. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Between those five, we've had uh, two of them. We've had Quark and Kira. So, what, between like Jake, Esri, and, and Julian... Who are you thinking that they that that it makes the most sense to bring back? Like, who would be the I guess who would be the most utilitarian player that they could bring on, and ha and it would resonate with with the fans. Yeah, um, Jake, Ezra, or Julian. Um, I think in terms of doing an episode, you could probably do the most with Jake, just as like you know the reporter or the writer. You could probably frame a story around that that could be really fun. Um. I don't know what you do with, like, Bashir. Like, what is the story you'd be writing on something like Lower Decks or just a new Trek show that, like, feels like you need to have Bashir for this? Um, and kind of, I guess, a little bit the same with Esri. Um, like, it's it's cool to have them back, but I, I don't know that it's... That I can think of a lot of excuses or reasons to, like, really argue for them being, ne like, necessary to bring back. Uh, in the place where we left them off, yes, I agree. But I mean, there's all this fan, you know, fan fiction that's like, oh, Julian joins Section Thirty One, which sure. kind of like I, I get that, but it also I have zero interest in Section Thirty One at this point. I like I just and also, do, do I really want to see Julian and and Section Thirty One? Like, no. Yeah. So I'm just like like I know like that's why I asked you like well like from a utilitarian perspective, who would make the most sense? And I I don't really have an answer. You know, I I guess from a utilitarian perspective, the the most sense would be like um, the space station or the Defiant, and we've already seen both last season because uh, we do have William Boimler. Um, he appeared on the Defiant um, after faking his own death to join Section Thirty One. A lot of people who work on New Track have often acknowledged DS Nine as a show that they really love, and I almost wonder too if they're like. They don't want to kind of like trample over where that show ended with some of the characters. I think you mm -hmm. could like bring back Ezri or Julian and it's not going to be particularly shocking because they were still in Starfleet, just reassigned. They're going somewhere else. But like I can see why you might be very hesitant about, you know, whether it's, you know, Cisco, even just like acknowledging the character at a further time point or Odo. Um even like Garrick, who I think would actually lend himself really well to something like Lower Decks, Andy Robinson has a great voice and I'm sure it could be a lot of fun. Are they almost like, we don't 
want to kind of determine what's going on with Garrick. We don't want to be the ones to make that decision. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's so many possibilities if they ever wanted to do something with Garrick, you know. Andy Robinson's well into his 70s at this point. I I, I don't exactly think that they're going to have a uh, Star Trek Garrick spinoff film anytime mm-hmm. soon. But, you know, do they want to mess around where it's going to be like some one-off joke for an episode where, you know, let's go visit Cardassia and uh, Garrick's gardening or something. Like, I don't know. They might have better luck if they did some sort of like Lower Decks time travel episode where they wound up on DS9 or something like that or just had a Garrick crossover in that way. But I often wonder if it's kind of like DS9 feels like more of a closed kind of story to me than like Voyager does where it ended with them coming back to Earth. Like there's future opportunities for all those characters, whereas DS9, it kind of felt like closing, you know, the final page, the final chapter on a novel and like, do you want to go back to that? I, I just I, I think maybe you kind of crack the code there. Maybe it's just a an episode akin to uh, you know trials and tribulations, but in this case we have you know the lower decks crew going back in time, and it, it's a deep space nine adventure uh, aboard this station that they have to help you know uh, blend into the background. But what would be kind of one of the most iconic deep space nine episodes in which you're using a lot of the cast. Uh, and it, it's not necessarily, uh, I don't know, like what, what would be an episode that you think like makes sense, uh, for this potential time travel idea? Oh, okay. That's a really good question because it's interesting when we were watching the episode recently with all the Voyager fan service, it made me kind of reflect like how many kind of like iconic Voyager episodes there are that you can just have visual nods to that people really grasp. I don't know that that was always DS9's strength. So many of them were like really mythology based. A lot of my favorite episodes of that series don't have that kind of like standalone kind of um, quick visual gag kind of sensibility about them. Um, I think there would be like a, a funny way to do something like some sort of nod to In the Pale Moonlight. Even if it's like a character at the same time doing some sort of like hollow record but like do the comedic take on that versus what you know obviously the very dark cisco take that we got in in the pale moonlight yeah so that was the episode that jumped to that that first sprung to mind but then i just got into my head like we're we spent like two or three minutes talking about how do they really want to like mess around with kind of the garrick mythology at this point yeah for a comedic take and it just seemed like too much of a dark episode and too much of a uh an episode that's um has a potential to be divisive within the community if you're playing it for laughs. Because when I think about like fun episodes of DS9 to play with, because you know the original Trouble with Tribbles is a really fun episode, and you know like some of those Voyager ones are pretty light too. The uh, Michael Sullivan stuff that's like a comedy episode basically. Um, DS9 those are episodes like Fascination, which we kind of got a nod to. Um, there's Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite, which we kind of got yeah. a nod to in this episode. I, I was thinking about that one as a possibility. Yeah. Um, and then they would do something like Our Man Bashir, which was like a kooky James Bond riff. You could definitely do a visual joke. Like you could have even like Boimler um, showing up in like an Our Man Bashir program. And maybe you get an Andy Robinson. You could have Hollow Garrick or something like that. That would work. But it doesn't feel like it kind of has those lists of kind of like standalone fun episodes that you could just have a very quick kind of like reference of well what about um civil defense you know this is the one in which the station went into lockdown 
and it was like a computer program that assumed that the Bajorans had rebelled against ore processing. And you've got, you know, characters like, uh, I, I think both Garrick and Dukat are in this episode. Dukat definitely is. Hmm. Uh, no, yeah, no, Garrick's also in this episode. Um, it, it is more of an ensemble as well. You know, like everybody's stuck somewhere and they kind of pair off a lot of the characters, you know, um, you know, Jake and, and Ben are, are going through the vents in ore processing to get their way, make their way up to the ops. And we have Kira and Dakot and Garrick all at ops, you know, like, I, I, I just wonder if there's like, um, some way to trap Boimler and Mariner somewhere. They're trying not to mess up with the timeline. But they're in situations that are kind of like memorable. I, I think Civil Defense is kind of a, a a memorable enough episode that people would get it. If it's a time travel thing. Sure, yeah. Like I think there would be a way to do, even if it's not the events of Civil Defense, like the, just the idea of DS9 having some sort of booby trap still you know, or laying dormant that comes you know, back to life or so whatever um, is activated. I think you could do something with that and... I mean, maybe the writers are like, guys, <laughs> we had the characters run around DS9. It's time to do something else. But I want more DS9, damn it. Like, I want to yeah. continue to play with the mythology of that show in a way. I don't, like, worry about maybe, like, not respectful nods to Voyager or Enterprise or TOS. Like, I just feel like those shows, there's so much more just opportunity just to kind of, like, poke fun at them lovingly. Whereas I feel like DS9... It's almost harder to poke fun at it in a fun way. So any opportunity they could find, I would like to see more of. Because I don't know what other shows are going to start tackling DS9 mythology. I think you could poke fun at some of the Bajoran religion stuff, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, you know, gardening with Burial. You know? Uh-huh. Um, I wonder if there's Mirror Universe stuff uh, from the Deep Space Nine side of things. You know, like, what if they, uh, I don't know, what, what if... We we found the uh, folks from Lower Decks in the Mirror Universe in their contemporary time period, but they're on the Deep Space Nine station, or I guess Tarek Nor at that point, and just we can catch up with that era of the Mirror Universe and have some familiar voices. Intendant Kira feels to me like the sort of character you would want to put on Lower Decks at some point. Yeah. Even if it is like a, a throwaway kind of like joke acknowledgement of that character in some way, like just a, a quick, almost like the way they use the Borg Queen, Alice Krieger, having like a kind of a cutaway, really funny moment. I could see them doing something with Intendant Kira in the future. Um, you know, the DS9 fan in me, in me wants to see a whole episode built around this, but I could see them going there at some point. I think like Nana Visitor loved playing that character, so she'd be down for that 100%. Which characters from the Mirror Universe of DS9 were alive by the end of that series? Uh, Smiley was. Yeah. The Intendant was. Worf was. Um, uh, Esri was. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, Ben was not. Um, Jedzia was not. I think Bashir was. Okay. Uh, oh, Kira, or sorry, Quark was dead and Odo was dead. Yeah. And Jake never existed. So... And, and Burial was dead. <laughs> and Burial, yeah. But about half the main cast was dead. That, to me, actually feels like maybe the best way to do this, because I don't think people would get too out of sorts if you're just playing around with the mythology of the DS9 Mirror Universe. Yeah. I think yeah. you'd you could step in a lot more, you know... Um, you could step on a lot, a lot more landmines if you were kind of 
seemingly undoing elements of the conclusion of DS9. But like Mirror Universe, I'd say go nuts. And the Mirror Universe of kind of the TOS era, I just feel has been milked for everything it's worth yeah. at this point. Um, as much as I love like the Enterprise episode, which is amazing, that kind of like did that so well that I don't know that we need to kind of go back there again. But the DS9 Mirror Universe doesn't feel like we've ever followed up on that because the Discovery Mirror Universe was so, so different. It doesn't feel at all the same universe as we saw in DS9. Uh, the only thing, though, is that uh, Garrick in the Mirror Universe, um, very uninteresting, very one-dimensional. And that could be kind of a bummer. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> we can have Garrick uh, get his own episode at some point. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, Cam, uh, one of the things, I, I guess it's been decided, all Parliament-class ships are named after Canadian cities. We had the uh, USS Toronto featured here. Uh, we've had the USS Vancouver before. I cannot wait until we get the USS Moose Jaw or the USS Saskatoon <laughs> uh, at some point. Yeah, the yeah USS. Uh, none of it would be amazing. Um, That's not a city. It's not a city, but uh, yeah, um, Yellowknife. Um, yeah, I'm down. Bring them. Okay. Okay. Um, I don't know. Why don't we jump over to the latest very short trek? Uh, run, not walk. Um, walk, don't run. <laughs> yeah, this is how much this episode, this uh, very short trek, uh, really meant to me here. I don't know. Here's the thing. most of these short treks have not been painful. The Booger one was painful to sit through. Mm -hmm. um, this one, like, uh, it got a little tedious and a little repetitive. Um, I, I don't know. The, the orgy stuff made me laugh, in which we yeah. we got to watch um, animated Scotty um, undo his belt and run around <laughs> with no pants on. Um, that 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 was funny. But um, I don't know. Like, here's here's my question for you, though, Cam. Um, after this batch of very short treks that I'm sure cost almost nothing to make yeah. and got a very, very mixed response from the fan community. Like, um, I'm down for them to experiment. Um, if they want to produce more, I'll watch them. Um, <laughs> what do you think the chances are? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's possible. I'm saying what do you think the probability factor is here? Well, as you said, these were very cheap. So that's kind of a checkmark in the favorable column of doing more. But I would have to imagine when they decided to do these, because these were also like on, you know, these are on YouTube. They wanted these to be kind of like viral attention getters for Star Trek, I would assume, like new Star Trek. And these things just kind of drew crickets. <laughs> like outside of, you know, us and our friends talking about them or seeing, you know... I saw like the odd comment about them online. They feel like they were a failure in generating like two minute, three minute Star Trek content that anyone would care about. In theory, I'm sure they wanted everyone to be watching these because they're short, they're bite-sized. Who's not going to check these out and find them funny? I think they were kind of like just a belly flop in that regard. So while they're cheap, while they, I'm sure, are quite simple to do, I don't know that they got out of them what they probably wanted going in. I don't think they wanted crickets. So, Cam, I'm looking at the number of views that they've gotten from uh, uh, YouTube. Yeah. Um, we've done uh, YouTube videos, uh, subspace YouTube videos that have gotten more views no. than uh, <laughs> these <laughs> uh, Paramount-produced uh, 
um, very short treks. You know, we're, we're talking in, I think the lowest number of views uh, so far is about 100,000. Um, and uh, I think the most number of views is uh, about 200,000. So that is... Um, That's very poor. That is that is bad. Uh, so uh, I, I like to... I, I don't like to work in a world of possibilities. I like probabilities. And I'm saying the probability uh, is pretty low at this point that we get another batch of these very short treks. I think they might experiment with more very short content in the future, but in terms of doing nods to the original animated series, uh, I think those are done. And it even felt like in this one, it had kind of run out of inspiration. Not that there was that much to really start with, but when it started with Tendi, um, you know, talking about how, you know, they were standing on the shoulders of the original animated and just characters getting upset about the way that Tendi was phrasing things. It just felt like the first one of these they did. Yeah. Where it was like, no matter what Tendi said, the other characters were like, whoa, 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 can you believe she said that? No, no, and that I was, was uh, that was Captain Kirk in the first one. In the first one, yeah, but Tendi in this one. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just felt like they were kind of repeating that after... <laughs> Like fifth installment, they're already repeating kind of material. Yeah. I, I had the same feeling as well. Yeah. And when it turned into kind of just like the musical number with Riker and Sulu, I'm like, okay. On one hand, if you're going to pay tribute to kind of the randomness of the 1970s, kind of perfect. I'm not sure the song was funny enough that it particularly clicked with me. I did like kind of the crazy animation. Maybe they should have just like built... Like, just a Star Trek music video. Just leave it at that. Just make, like, a two- or three-minute catchy Star Trek song with the characters playing the instruments, kind of like the way this one ended. Leave it at that. Like, the comedy wasn't working, so maybe just, like, a Star Trek musical thing would have worked better in terms of, like, viral entertainment. Paramount should have just license the Vedic Burial song that you produced, mm. Cam. Uh, listeners uh, that may not know, this is not a joke. Cam literally produced a Vedic Burial um, rap song. Uh, again, Cam, you might want to put a clip at the end in case people think that um, <laughs> we are joking about this. Uh, they should have just licensed that song from you and uh, created like an animated music video surrounding it. I think that would have gone viral. <laughs> well, do you remember the Kesha TikTok mashup yeah the star trek one from several years ago now that was like genius and honestly like if cbs paramount did something like that they might actually get views this entire kind of um project they had felt like a very bizarre way to pay tribute to the original animated series and i'm not sure they ever kind of cracked like why they were doing this in the first place i want to know who pitched this and who signed off on this (laughs) it's like must be a very, very, very good, like, person in the pitch room. You know, just like, uh, you know, smooth operator. Skits are difficult. Look at Saturday Night Live. These are, like, high-level comedians, great writers, and you'll watch an episode of Saturday Night Live and you'll get, like, a number of dogs that just don't really work in the skits. So the idea that they were probably very quickly cranking out these Star Trek skits the odds of delivering, you know, five home runs were pretty slim. And I wouldn't say they even really got um, a single home run. They might have gotten like a couple bunts. <laughs> um, I, well, I, I should say uh, there, there's a distinction between skits and sketch comedy. Though. Sure, and sure. Yeah, th- th- this, uh, I guess you could call these skits, but uh, SNL's sketch comedy. Though. Sure. Um, I know it's always fun when, you know, uh, we pick apart a comedic language. I mean, more in terms of just short term comedy. Or short term, a short length, I should say, comedy. 
yeah. Um, okay, I, I don't expect to see um, that much more <laughs> of these very short tricks. Um, before we jump over to some uh, season finale of Ahsoka talk, yeah. mostly just my monologue, it, it'll be spoiler-free. Cam, um, would you say lieutenants junior grade or lieutenant junior grades, if you were just talking in uh, just normal day-to-day you know, language? I think I would say lieutenant junior grades. Uh, but the problem okay. was that episode, pointing it out and having a character then go through multiple variations suddenly turned my mind to jelly where I was like, wait, how would I say that? So that's just off the top of my head now. Both sound awkward. So I, I figure out how you get around that. Just say uh, junior grade lieutenants. Mm, Boom. Yeah. The other thing that's always open for debate, Ken, would you say um, there are three birds of prey or there are three bird of preys? Birds of prey. Why would you say that? Because a single is called a bird of prey. I know. I know. It's like I just go to the, I go to the plural of birds. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so then, again, I'd find a workaround. Uh, I would just say three bird of prey vessels. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I like to de-awkwardize everything. <laughs> Except in, like, uh, social situations. Then, you know me, I love to make things awkward. Now I feel like uh, going through, like, Star Trek novels and seeing how they write it for, like, the bird of prey <laughs> question. Yeah. Um all right, Cam. Uh, Ahsoka, not really full of spoilers, but um, I just, it was interesting. I was having a conversation uh, with my brothers, uh, you know, uh, this afternoon, mm. um, uh, just a day after, I guess, the Ahsoka uh, finale, and uh, they've been following it. But those two guys, they've also watched all the Star Wars Rebels, like cartoons and all that. And I am going to um, pull out kind of the uh, the rough. I, I I can pull up the the exact quote uh, from the uh, conversation we we're having. So one brother says, "While I did enjoy Andor, I've come to realize that what I truly enjoy about SW is space wizards and laser swords." <laughs> and I'm like, "Okay." I, then I said, "We can debate this over a drunk Thanksgiving dinner." Uh, and then I said, "I thought Andor was exceptional. Ahsoka did absolutely nothing for me." I just, uh, it, it's just the problem where I, uh, I, I, I did not care what was going on. Like this has been advertised as season five of Star Wars Rebels. Um, I did not know that was the intention going in. Mm. Um, had I known, I probably would have skipped it because I just, the, the, it just did nothing for me. I didn't know who the characters were. You know, you'd have reunions and the music would swell, and I would just be staring blankly at the television set because. It's these characters that have only ever been mentioned off screen and you're supposed to jump out of your seat to see that character again. Um, I, I, it just, this one did not work for me. So now this series, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't it sort of like crucial to their future plans of crossing these characters over in a big movie? Um, I, I, I can see by the time you get to the finale, how, there are elements that would dictate that. Yeah. But yeah. Cam, I was so lost with the story elements and with the character stuff. Like, I don't know how, like, do, do they really want to bring a lot of these elements onto the big screen to confuse like mass audiences? Like I, I realized way too late that this was not 
meant for wider audiences. This is meant for the cartoon um, viewers. You know, Cam, would you go out into the wild and recommend um, Star Trek Lower Decks to someone that's never seen Star Trek before? Uh, no, it would not be my go-to. No, <laughs> I mean we yeah. ha- we have met people who have you know watched Lower Decks as their first Star Trek show, but it would not be a recommendation I would necessarily make. I I just feel like if that was their first Star Trek show, they they would just be absolutely baffled as to what is going on with all these references. That's like it, it was so clear to me that there was stuff like I knew there was stuff going over my head constantly, and that made me more frustrated watching it. Just so I don't know. Uh, th- this one did not work for me. If you watch the cartoons and it worked for you, I get it. Like I man, I I'm jealous that you got that experience. But for me, I was just like, eh, okay. Like, like, I actually, I did struggle to finish the finale last night. Like, um, what happened? Oh, yeah, I watched, like, half of it, and then Survivor came on, and then it really took me a long time to, like, go back and watch the last 25 minutes of the uh, Ahsoka finale. That's not great. That's not great, especially when you are, in theory, trying to hype people up for this crossover movie. At this point, what is this movie going to be? Everyone loves The Mandalorian. Awesome. Um, season three, maybe they didn't love, but the character they still love. So yes, there's your headliner. Um, Book of Boba Fett was kind of a <laughs> kind of a dud. Uh, I don't know that people are that excited to see that character back. Uh, and then Ahsoka, I've seen very mixed things. I'm sure, as you said, like some people who watch the animated shows really love the, this live action show. But I saw a number of people that I follow, you know, film critics and things like that, logging it on Letterboxd and saying things akin to, what was the point? Um, that doesn't feel like you are building solid foundation for like an event movie that's going to kind of like play the way you want a Star Wars movie to play. Well, okay. I, I got to the end of this, and yeah, I, I guess I didn't think about it this way, but um, I got to the end of the season finale, and, and I'm like, yeah, what what was the point here? It doesn't see, it doesn't seem as if uh, there's any sort of resolution. Like it really just seems like a setup for future adventures, like and nothing more. And that's also frustrating. I remember the uh, the creator of Mad Men. He used to say that every single season that he wrote, he gave it his all. He put every single hit idea that he had, thinking it would be the one and only season he would get to do. And so whenever the show is renewed, he's like, oh, crap, I've got to think of other stuff. And then he put his all into it. He never played it as if, oh, guess what? This, like, I, I'm thinking like seven seasons ahead of how this might pay off or that may pay off. He, he's like, he obviously built upon stuff that had been developed in previous seasons. But I, I, I give so much more props to the folks that give it their all mm-hmm. versus like, Hey, I, I want this to pay off later on. Like uh, you told me what the uh, kind of cliffhanger was for um, the uh, Independence Day um, sequel. Oh yeah, and it was essentially just a setup for yet another sequel. I'm just like, yeah, I hate that. Yeah, it didn't have an ending. It was just let's go to space credits. Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah. okay, sounds good. I mean, nice paycheck for Brent Spiner, but uh, yeah, yeah, not great. And I, I do think people are just getting burnt out on this kind of. TV that feels like it's just stretching along and it's all franchise TV that's doing this um, and Star Wars I just feel is in a place of making content out of fear almost they're just <laughs> they've struggled with their movies they're constantly announcing 
you know, oh, Taika Waititi is going to do a Star Wars movie. And then Taika makes a movie that people don't love and suddenly that Star Wars movie goes very quiet and you don't hear about it. And that's happened multiple times now where they've announced projects that then go quiet. They've announced three movies. This crossover one is one of them. I don't think there's any chance all three of those movies make it to the big screen. And I think they're like legit scared and don't quite know what to do because The Mandalorian was very big for them. But season three, those numbers were dropping. and I think people's interest is starting to wane. And that's kind of like all they have that is a like surefire pleaser. Well, I mean, season three was lame. Uh, Boba Fett was lame. Uh, Obi-Wan was fine. Like, I, I, I'm not going to be somebody who's dumping on Obi-Wan. It was it was just, it was too vanilla. It didn't take chances. It didn't do anything interesting, but I didn't find it, like, offensive or anything like that. Except for when they were kicking um, flower pots at uh, the villains uh, when they're back at the uh, the moisture farm. Like, yeah, that yeah. was not exactly, like, Owen, do better. Um, but, I, I don't know, I just kind of, like, I, I just don't feel inspired by the franchise at this point the way i was maybe by the time i got to the end of season two of mando i was i was like wow okay i had i had my uh i had my reservations but it found it seems as if they kind of found their groove there and um i've still been giving it the benefit of the doubt because you have something like andor which to me that that is my favorite star wars property Mm -hmm. to date like i just i thought it was exceptional so I guess all I have right now to look forward to is uh, Andor season two, but they only want to do two seasons. And I, look, that's what I love. I'm mean, like Tony Gilroy, um, the creator of Andor, he's giving it his all. That mm-hmm. like he's putting all his ideas into these two seasons, and I think that's perfect for me. I mean, I'm sure Disney looks at the accolades for Andor and then contrast that to like the viewing numbers of it, and are yeah. just like. How do we merge these two things? How do we get like massive praise and make shows that are like, uh, you know, that get massive public response? Um, at the moment, we don't know. <laughs> we have no idea. Wow. Uh, that said, I, I mean, I think Ahsoka season two is a possibility. Um, I'm not so sure I'll be tuning in. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I won't. I, it just by the time I got to the end, it didn't give me a reason to continue on. Yeah, the one I'm a little curious about, not excited, not anticipating, but curious about is The Acolyte, which is pretty mysterious, this new Star Wars show, and doesn't feel like it's part of the kind of the Book of Boba Fett, Mandalorian, Ahsoka kind of uh, collection of stories. It's kind of doing its own thing, and maybe it offers something cool like an Andor delivered. Uh, I guess we'll just have to wait and see on that one. For me, all I know is the name. Yeah, it's like, am I okay? I, I mean, I'll look. I I watch Ahsoka. I'll give this a shot. Um, but it, it we're getting to Marvel television territory where <laughs> I, I just, I at a certain point I'm just like I threw in the towel. And even though maybe She Hulk was getting like uh like people are like yeah it's a fun show, or the uh what was the show with the um young teenage girl. Oh, Ms. Marvel? The Ms. Marvel one is like getting some accolades, but by then I was just, I was burnt out. And I, I'm kind of there with Star Wars at this point. Like, uh, Mando's, I guess you and I will do the Cam DeLorton report for Mando season four in like 2025 or something. But mm-hmm. um, really for me, I, uh, hopefully Andor will be out, you know, in about a year's time. That's, I think, our uh, best hope to get that. And our, I think it's also our best hope for uh, Star Wars at this point. 
how has Star Trek like avoided kind of the uh, just the complete apathy to just the endless content? Because Star Trek has cranked out a lot. And look, I don't love every season or every show that's come out of New Trek, but I don't feel like I'm just being delivered kind of watered down gruel. I so often do with like the Marvel, the Star Wars stuff. I just think it's like all of the series uh, are, those, are, are just so distinct, you mm. know, like even if like the quality varies wildly, you know, you go from Picard season two to Strange New Worlds season two and the the uh, gap in quality is massive, mm-hmm. you know, um, but those are very distinct shows. You're not going to mix uh, mistake one for the other, whereas you go into the Marvel TV stuff. And it kind of feels as if you're following this one big convoluted story that all takes place in a world of really lame cinematography. Mm -hmm. Bland, boring kind of universe. I am also like getting really tired of just strip mining things for fan service because I just feel like we've reached a point where there's nothing left to strip mine anymore. Uh, And I think like Lower Decks has done a good job of continuing to... Um, find elements to have fun with it doesn't feel like they're desperate whereas when i look at star wars now it just feels like how much left can we like pull out of those original three films because it just feels like they are just desperately still trying to do that and none of it clicks i'm just like staring blankly it's like oh a lizard monkey how cute you know like there's nothing left yeah um, all right, Kim, one last thing that I, I, I want to touch on is uh, Patrick Stewart is out promoting his memoir. Uh, he, there's a funny excerpt from it that I I wanted to share in case people haven't uh, uh, read it or, or come across any of the news stories. But uh, here's the excerpt. So this is with regards to Nemesis. I didn't have a single exciting scene to play. And the actor who portrayed the movie's villain, Shinzon, was an odd, solitary young man from London. His name was Tom Hardy. Tom wouldn't engage with any of us on a social level, never said good morning, never said good night, and spent the hours he wasn't needed on set in his trailer with his girlfriend. He was by no means hostile. It was just challenging to establish any rapport with him. On the evening Tom wrapped his role, he characteristically left without ceremony or niceties, simply walking out of the door. As it closed, I quietly said to Brent and Jonathan, and there goes someone I think we shall never hear of again. <laughs> it gives me nothing but pleasure that Tom has proven me so wrong. Um, Tom Hardy's a weird dude, but mm-hmm. here's the other thing. It's, um, why are there so many actors that take themselves so seriously and that has to manifest it to being like a jerk? Yeah. You know, like... How how many actors do you hear about where they're like, they take their craft super, super seriously and they're really nice to you about it? And it's like, no, it's all these people you hear that, that you can be serious about what you do. Yeah. But you don't have to be a total jerk. Yeah. uh, When you go about doing it. But actors seem to be kind of the exception. Oh, and uh, I guess tech gurus as well. Yeah, I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis, I don't recall hearing many bad things about. People generally seem to like him, and he does take acting very seriously. But I don't think at the expense of, like, other people, (laughs) which is often the case. I often think of Jack Nicholson. There's the anecdote about A Few Good Men, where um, 
Jack Nicholson, I think a lot of people would think he could be quite fierce because, you know, you see his on-screen presence. He could be very intense and <laughs> volatile on screen. But when they were doing A Few Good Men, he did the big, you know, you can't handle the truth speech. And then they, you know, went to do the cruise angle and different actors. And instead of like just leaving the set, he did that monologue over and over and over again for each bit of coverage for different actors. And like at a certain point, Rob Reiner, the director, said, Jack, you can go. We've got all we need of you. And he's just like, I just love acting, man. I'll keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's good. But he, he's being generous with his fellow actors, you know, like that's what I appreciate about folks. Um, I've got a good uh, Jack Nicholson story for you now that you brought it up. Um yeah, so Phil Hartman uh, did like a really good Jack Nicholson impression, and there is a movie in which Jack Nicholson couldn't bother be bothered to do the dubbing for. Uh. So they hired Phil Hartman to to do the dubbing for him. It was for the movie The Border. So I don't know, maybe like ten years later, uh, Phil Hartman like ran into him and is like, "Hey, I, I actually did your dubbing in that one for like um, you know maybe like sometimes in films." You know, there's maybe kind of a line that's flubbed, or maybe there's an airplane flow, uh, flying over the location at the time. So they have to re-record it. But Jack Nicholson didn't do that. So, uh, you know, Phil Hartman says to Jack Nicholson, like, I did that one uh, for the border. Jack Nicholson turns to him and is like, maybe that's why it's the only bomb I ever had. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, he said it as a joke, but it's still, it still pretty funny. Like, like again... He wasn't being a jerk. He was being funny about it, you know. So I don't know. The, the lesson is you don't have to be a jerk to take your job seriously. I just wonder how much of an introvert Tom Hardy is, though, because he's a guy who, like, when he's not working, he's invisible, really. Like, yeah. he just kind of vanishes. I think he lives a very private, quiet life. Um, it seems, I mean, he's definitely had his struggles. We've heard about, uh, especially in his younger years. So I'm sure that factors into it as well. But it just seems like someone who, you know, very serious um, and uh, somewhat easily ruffled. He's a very talented man, but you can still say hello and goodbye to your coworkers, even if you're shy. Especially when you are, I think, the young actor on set uh, and you are with a lot of like veteran actors. Like, look, this is their show and it may be nerve wracking, but it's kind of like the polite thing to do, like to acknowledge, like, thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, on that note, Cam, uh, thank you for having me on the show. <laughs> You're welcome. And if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspace pod. Tyler, what are we doing next week? Uh, well, a bit of a spoiler, Cam. I will be doing Lower Decks... Uh, <laughs> Episode 7. Uh, let me see if uh, we have an episode title for that one at this moment. Uh, no, we don't have an episode title, Cam. So oh, okay. uh, we'll just go with the flow at this point as we record on Thursday evening. Okay. And you can also find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam. V is in very short treks are over, Smith. <laughs> you can find me at Reportin. That's R-E-P. P is in perpetual state of immature rebellion. O-R. T-O-N. Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. Welcome to my beautiful garden. What answers do you seek, my child? Tell me, who is most righteous, Vedic Baryl? Um, I shall do better than tell you, my child. Ba-Baryl. Ba-Ba-Baryl. Ba-Ba-Baryl.
Major, arm around the major, prophet chosen player, stuff Cardassian danger. Hot like a bow to the Xanthi fever, voices from the temple and off the receiver. Let me take your pot and make you a believer. Vedic to the people and never a deceiver. Cause I got flowers in my garden and my heart will never harden. Step up on the spring of guess what? You'll be smartened. Starting to fuel my flow, yeah, you know. Like watching a flowing bromeliad grow. Do I try Cisco? I don't know. But cray cray kai, baddie, we gotta go. Girl, look into my orb. Think about all the love you could absorb. I get down, yo, like a gratitude fest. No life support, don't need no rest. Like Philip Anglum, forever best. Bigger positronic implant, me, I'm blessed. Resurrect myself, no stress, no mess, no jest. Monastery to the might, my spiritual quest. Rhymes from the soul to make you all heal. Power in the words, the opaca ideal. I caught you a fool, cause I keep it by real. Spinning record still done like a dabbo wheel. Testify.